0: section eleven of the life of samuel johnson volume two by james boswell this is a librivox recording or librivox recordings are in the public domain talking of a london life he said the happiness of london is not to be conceived but by those who have been in it i will venture to say there is more learning and science within the circumference of ten miles from where we now sit than in all the rest of the kingdom Boswell, the only disadvantage is the great distance at which people live from one another. Johnson, yes, sir, but that is occasioned by the largeness of it, which is the cause of all the other advantages. Boswell, sometimes I have been in the humour of wishing to retire to a desert. Johnson, Sir, you have desert enough in Scotland. Although i had promised myself a great deal of instructive conversation with him on the conduct of the married state of which i had then a near prospect he did not say much upon that topic mr seward heard him once say that a man has a very bad chance for happiness in that state unless he marries a woman of very strong and fixed principles of religion he maintained to me contrary to the common notion that a woman would not be the worse wife for being learned. Footnote, Depend upon it, he said, no woman is the worse for sense and knowledge. Boswell's Hebrides. See however post, 1780, in Mr Langton's collection where he says, supposing a wife to be of a studious or argumentative turn, it would be very troublesome. End a footnote. In which, from all that I have observed of Artemisia's, i humbly differed from him footnote. though artemisia talks by fits of counsels classics father's wits reads malbranche Boyle, and lock yet in some things methinks she fails twere well if she would pare her nails and wear a cleaner smock swift imitation of english poets End footnote. That a woman should be sensible and well informed i allow to be a great advantage and think that sir thomas overbury footnote, a wife a poem sixteen fourteen boswell end of footnote, in his rude versification has very judiciously pointed out that degree of intelligence which is to be desired in a female companion give me next good and understanding wife by nature wise not learned by much art some knowledge on her side with all my life more scope of conversation impart besides her inborn virtue fortify they are most firmly good who best know why footnote in the original that best know why end of footnote when i censured a gentleman of my acquaintance for marrying a second time as it showed a disregard for his first wife he said not at all sir on the contrary were he not to marry again it might be concluded that his first wife had given him a disgust to marriage but by taking a second wife he pays the highest compliment to the first by showing that she made him so happy as a married man that he wishes to be so a second time what a succession of compliments was paid by johnson's old schoolfellow whom he met a year or two later in lichfield who has had, as he phrased it, a matter of four wives. For which, added Johnson to Mrs. Thrale, neither you nor I like him much the better. Piozzi Letters. End of footnote. So ingenious a tone did he give to this delicate question. And yet on another occasion he owned that he once had almost asked a promise of Mrs. Johnson that she would not marry again, but had checked himself indeed i cannot help thinking that in his case the request would have been unreasonable for if mrs johnson forgot or thought it no injury to the memory of her first love the husband of her youth and the father of her children to make a second marriage why should she be precluded from a third should she be so inclined in johnson's persevering fond appropriation of his teddy even after her decease he seems totally to have overlooked the prior claim of the honest birmingham trader i presume that her having been married before had at times given him some uneasiness for i remember his observing upon the marriage of one of our common friends he has done a very foolish thing sir he has married a widow when he might have had a maid Footnote. Mr. Langton married the widow of the Earl of Rothes, post-March the 20th, 1771. End of footnote. We drank tea with Mrs. Williams. I had last year the pleasure of seeing Mrs. Thrale at Dr. Johnson's one morning, and had conversation enough with her to admire her talents, and to show her that I was as Johnsonian as herself dr johnson had probably been kind enough to speak well of me for this evening he delivered me a very polite card from mr thrale and her inviting me to streatham on the sixth of october i complied with this obliging invitation and found at an elegant villa six miles from town every circumstance that can make society pleasing johnson though quite at home was yet looked up to, with an awe tempered by affection, and seemed to be equally the care of his host and hostess. I rejoiced at seeing him so happy. He played off his wit against Scotland with a good-humoured pleasantry which gave me, though no bigot to national prejudices, an opportunity for a little contest with him. I having said that england was obliged to us for gardeners almost all their good gardeners being scotchmen johnson my sir that is because gardening is much more necessary amongst you than with us which makes so many of your people learn it it is all gardening with you things which grow wild here must be cultivated with great care in scotland pray now Throwing himself back in his chair and laughing, Are you ever able to bring the slow to perfection? I boasted that we had the honour of being the first to abolish the unhospitable, troublesome, and ungracious custom of giving veils to servants. Johnson, Sir, you abolished veils because you were too poor to be able to give them horace walpole writing of seventeen sixty four says as one of my objects was to raise the popularity of our party i had inserted a paragraph in the newspapers observing that the abolition of veils to servants had been set on foot by the duke of bedford and had been opposed by the duke of devonshire soon after a riot happened at ranelagh in which the footmen mobbed and ill-treated some gentlemen who had been active in that reformation Memoirs of the Reign of George the Third, and a footnote. Mrs. Thrale disputed with him on the merit of Prior. He attacked him powerfully, said he wrote of love like a man who had never felt it. His love verses were college verses, and he repeated the song. Alexis shunned his fellow swains, etc., in so ludicrous a manner as to make us all wonder how any-one could have been pleased with such fantastical stuff. Footnote Alexis shunned his fellow swains, their rural sports and jocund strains. Heaven guard us all from Cupid's bow. He lost his crook, he left his flocks, and wandering through the lonely rocks, he nourished endless woe, the despairing shepherd. End of footnote mrs thrale stood to her gum with great courage in defence of amorous ditties which johnson despised till he at last silenced her by saying my dear lady talk no more of this nonsense can be defended but by nonsense in his amorous effusions prior is less happy for they are not dictated by nature or by passion and have neither gallantry nor tenderness they have the coldness of cowley without his wit the dull exercises of a skilful versifier resolved at all adventures to write something about chloe and trying to be amorous by dint of study in his private relaxation he revived the tavern and in his amorous pedantry he exhibited the college Johnson's works, volume eight, pages fifteen and twenty two. Mrs. Thrale then praised Garrick's talent for light, gay poetry, and as a specimen, repeated his song in Florizel and Perdita, and dwelt with peculiar pleasure on this line I'd smile with the simple, and feed with the poor. Footnote florizel and perdita is garrick's version of the winter's tale he cut down the five acts to three the line which is misquoted is one of perdita's songs that giant ambition we never can dread our roofs are too low for so lofty a head content and sweet cheerfulness open our door they smile with the simple and feed with the poor Act two scene one end of footnote Johnson Nay, my dear lady, this will never do. Poor David. Smile with the simple what folly is that? And who would feed with the poor that can help it? No, no, let me smile with the wise and feed with the rich repeated this Sally to Garrick and wondered to find his sensibility as a writer not a little irritated by it. To soothe him, I observed that Johnson spared none of us, and I quoted the passage in Horace, in which he compares one who attacks his friends for the sake of a laugh to a pushing ox that is marked by a bunch of hay put upon his horns, finum habet in cornu. Horace Satires, Book One, Four, Line Thirty Four, a footnote. Aye, said garrick vehemently he has a whole mow of it talking of history johnson said we may know historical facts to be true as we know facts in common life to be true motives are generally unknown we cannot trust to the characters we find in history Unless when they are drawn by those who knew the persons, as those, for instance, by Sallust, and by Lord Clarendon. Horace Walpole told Malone that he was about twenty-two in square brackets, twenty-four years old when his father retired, and that he remembered his offering one day to read to him, finding the time hung heavy on his hands. What, said he, will you read, child? Mr. Walpole, considering that his father had been long engaged in public business, proposed to read some history. No, said he, don't read history to me. That can't be true. Pryor's Malone, see also post-april thirtieth seventeen seventy three and october tenth seventeen seventy nine, and a footnote. He would not allow much merit to Whitefield's oratory his popularity sir said he is chiefly owing to the peculiarity of his manner he would be followed by crowds were he to wear a nightcap in the pulpit or were he to preach from a tree Footnote. boswell himself had met whitefield for mentioning him in his letter to the people of scotland he adds of whose pious and animated society i had some share southey thus describes whitefield in his life of wesley his voice excelled both in melody and compass and its fine modulations were happily accompanied by that grace of action which he possessed in an eminent degree and which has been said to be the chief requisite of an orator an ignorant man described his eloquence oddly but strikingly when he said that mr whitefield preached like a lion so strange a comparison conveyed no unapt a notion of the force and vehemence and passion of that oratory which awed the hearers and made them tremble like felix before the apostle benjamin franklin writes memoirs mr whitefield's eloquence had a wonderful power over the hearts and purses of his hearers of which i myself was an instance he happened to be present at a sermon which he perceived was to finish with a collection for an object which had not his approbation i silently resolved he should get nothing from me i had in my pocket a handful of copper money three or four silver dollars and five pistoles in gold as he proceeded i began to soften and concluded to give the copper another stroke of his oratory made me ashamed of that and determined me to give the silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and ore. I know not from what spirit of contradiction he burst out into a violent declamation against the Corsicans, of whose heroism I talked in high terms. Sir, said he, what is all this rout about the corsicans they have been at war with the genoese for upwards of twenty years and have never yet taken their fortified towns they might have battered down their walls and reduced them to powder in twenty years they might have pulled the walls in pieces and cracked the stones with their teeth in twenty years it was in vain to argue with him upon the want of artillery he was not to be resisted for the moment on the evening of october the tenth i presented dr johnson to general paoli i had greatly wished that two men for whom i had the highest esteem should meet what an idea may we not form for an interview between such a scholar and philosopher as mr johnson and such a legislator in general as paoli Boswell's Corsica. End a footnote. They met with a manly ease, mutually conscious of their own abilities and of the abilities of each other. The general spoke Italian and Dr. Johnson English, and understood one another very well, with the little aid of interpretation from me, in which I compared myself to an isthmus, which joins two great continents upon johnson's approach the general said from what i have read of your work sir and from what mr boswell has told me of you i have long held you in great veneration the general talked of languages being formed on the particular notions and manners of a people without knowing which we cannot know the language we may know the direct signification of single words but by these no beauty of expression no sally of genius no wit is conveyed to the mind all this must be by allusion to other ideas sir so, sir johnson you talk of language as if you had never done anything else but study it instead of governing a nation the general said questo è un troppo gran, complimento this is too great a compliment. Johnson answered, I should have thought so, sir, if I had not heard you talk. The general asked him what he thought of the spirit of infidelity which was so prevalent. Note, Mr. Stewart, who in 1768 was sent on a secret mission to Paoli, in his interesting report says, Religion seems to sit easy upon Paoli, and notwithstanding what his historian boswell relates i take him to be very free in his notions that way this i suspect both from the strain of his conversation and from what i have learnt of his conduct towards the clergy and monks it's Morris's shelburne see post april fourteenth seventeen seventy five where johnson said "Sir, so there is a great cry about infidelity but there are in reality very few infidels. Yet not long before he had complained of an inundation of impiety Boswell's Hebrides end a footnote Johnson Sir, this gloom of infidelity, I hope, is only a transient cloud passing through the hemisphere, which will soon be dissipated, and the sun break forth with his usual splendour footnote i suppose johnson said atmosphere proker in humphrey clinker in the letter of june the second there is however a somewhat similar use of the word lord bute is described as the caledonian luminary that lately blazed so bright in our hemisphere methinks at present it glimmers through a fog a star however unlike a cloud may pass from one hemisphere to the other you think then said the general that they will change their principles like their clothes johnson my sir if they bestow no more thought on principles than on dress it must be so the general said that a great part of the fashionable infidelity was owing to a desire of showing courage. Men who have no opportunities of showing it as to things in this life, take death and futurity as objects on which to display it. Johnson. That is mighty foolish affectation. Fear is one of the passions of human nature, of which it is impossible to divest it. You remember that the Emperor Charles V, when he read upon the tombstone of a spanish nobleman here lies one who never knew fear wittily said then he never snuffed a candle with his fingers he talked a few words of french to the general but finding he did not do it with facility he asked for pen ink and paper and wrote the following note footnote See post under November the fifth, seventeen seventy-five. Hannah More, writing in seventeen eighty-two, memoirs says, paoli will not talk in English, and his French is mixed with Italian. He speaks no language with purity." End footnote: J'ai lu dans la géographie de Luca de Linda un patenoste écrit dans une langue tout à fait différente de l'italien et de tout autre lequel se dérive du latin l'auteur l'appelle linguam cocicae rusticae elle a peut-être passé peu peu mais elle est certainement prévolue autrefois dans les montagnes dans la campagne le même auteur dit la même chose en parlant de sadaigne qu'il y a deux langues dans l'île une des villes et l'autre de la campagne the general immediately informed him that the lingua rustica was only in Sardinia. Dr. Johnson went home with me and drank tea till late in the night. He said, General Paoli had the loftiest port of any man he had ever seen. Footnote. Horace Walpole writes, Baoli had as much ease as suited a prudence that seemed the utmost effort of a wary understanding and was so void of anything remarkable in his aspect that being asked if I knew who it was, I judged him a Scottish officer, for he was sandy complexioned and in regimentals, who was cautiously awaiting the moment of promotion. Memoirs so of the reign of George the third. He denied that military men were always the best-bred men perfect good-breeding, he observed, consists in having no particular mark of any profession but a general elegance of manners, whereas in a military man you can commonly distinguish the brand of a soldier, l'homme de paix. dr johnson shunned tonight any discussion of the perplexed question of fate and free will which i attempted to agitate sir so said he we know our will is free and there's an end on't footnote boswell introduced this subject often see post october the twenty sixth seventeen sixty nine april the fifteenth seventeen seventy eight march the seventeen eighty-one; and june the twenty third seventeen eighty four like Milton's fallen angels, he found no end in wandering mazes lost, paradise lost. End of, footnote. End of section 11